Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Hi, Steve. It's great to be here today. And we have a fantastic guest, someone that I greatly look up to and that is well known in the matrimonial field and beyond. Uh, Caroline Cross Brown is here. She has been practicing law for over 22 years. She started when she was about 14, um, but she has been at Blank Rome and she has been there for many years. She is currently co-chair of the firm's matrimonial and family law practice. And you guys actually have quite a few offices and work in many different states, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Pennsylvania, California, and Florida. And uh, work, you really work in all different areas of matrimonial law, both in uh, prenups, postnups, also custody, access issues, um, divorce negotiation, um, as well as litigation, as well as uh, equitable distribution, child support, as well as spousal support. Um, you have many different accolades and uh, have been all over different magazines and received many awards, including Worth Magazine's Top 100 Attorneys, New York Magazine's Women Leaders in of the Law, as well as being repeatedly recognized as a super lawyer by the publishers of New York Metro Super Lawyers Magazine. Um, and most recently, really exciting, this year in 2017, nominated as a trailblazer by the National Law Journal. Uh, you also have received the highest possible ratings by Martindale Hubble. So, you know, essentially in a uh, bio, I could go on for, for many, many pages, um, but we're really excited to have you here, Caroline, because you know what you're talking about. You have so much experience and you've worked with so many women going through the divorce process. And I have a feeling you probably have some nuggets of wisdom uh, for things to do and not to do. Um, to make that process as, as I guess, as, as little collateral damage as, as possible. So thank you for being here. It is my pleasure. Perfect, perfect. So welcome, welcome. So I would love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, what you're working on and, and more about your background and, you know, why you chose this field, uh, what essentially what, what brings you here, what brings you here. So I was a communications major at Ithaca College in my undergraduate degree. And when I told my mother that I didn't think it was really what I wanted to pursue as a senior, she said, well, darling, you have one more class left to finish your major. And so I suggest you do that. And whatever you decide to do thereafter will be on your dime and not mine. And so I took my mother's advice and I finished my bachelor's degree. And I sort of, um, it took me a couple of years to find myself. And I had one of those moments where I said to myself, you know, this isn't exactly turning out the way I had envisioned it when I was little and thought about, you know, what I'd be doing um, after I graduated from college. And I had taken a class um, 
at, at Ithaca, which was a required class called Communications and the Law. And it's a class that I did not want to take at all. I was quite put upon that the um, that the school would force me to take this class, which was clearly nothing that would interest me at all. And lo and behold, it fascinated me. And wow. it really was, um, looking back, a moment which changed my life. How was, how was it different than what you had expected it to be? I expected it to be boring. Yeah. And it was the furthest thing from boring. Hmm. And so I decided I was going to apply to law school, and I did. And I went into that with um, such drive and abandon because I realized that this was the opportunity that I'd been waiting for. And oh, yes, it was on my dime. And so I find that when you're paying for something yourself, you Mm -hmm. tend to Mm -hmm. um, pursue it with a little bit more vim and vigor than if someone else was writing checks. Um, And so I did exceptionally well. And I was very lucky in my third year of law school to find a job at a 30 lawyer litigation group in uh, on Park Avenue. And so I went to school every day in the morning and I went to my um, law clerk job every day, 25 hours a week. And that was, you know, in 1991, there were no jobs available. It was a very bad economic time. And I called um, the head of the litigation department at the time, who was now partners with a very good friend of yours. Um, And I said to her, well, I've taken the bar exam. And she said, well, why don't you show up on Monday and we'll see if we can find you something to do. And I was actually looking for maybe a little bit of a break, but she said, show up on Monday. And so I (laughs) did. did. So I did. And I showed up every day for four months until they finally offered me a job. And that was how I really started my law career. Um, I was doing bankruptcy and commercial and corporate litigation, which was um, interesting, but it was also very um, impersonal to me. Mm-hmm. One of the associates went on maternity leave, and I was asked to fill in on a family law case, and I was, again, not too excited to do that. It wasn't something that I thought would interest me. And once again, life took me in a completely different um, turn because I. it turns out I absolutely loved it. I loved the fact that I could help somebody in a very personal and meaningful Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I never looked back. It's amazing because you, bless you, you've gone and and done these things, even in the face of that looks boring, I'm really not interested. But you've pushed yourself, you've pushed yourself through that. And here you are, here you are um, in matrimonial law and changing lives every day changing lives every day. When I joined what was Tenzer Greenblatt, which was the predecessor firm to Blank Rome a couple of years later, um, I was an associate and I was doing trial work and, you know, basically being fed (laughs) to the lions. And I had a small child and I said, you know, I can't do all this at one time it's I was at the point of exhaustion and something had to give and I went to my colleague and I said I need you to make an arrangement for me because I'm going to crack and he said well we've never done that for anybody before you know this is litigation you have to be here and he said but you know what if anybody can make it work I think you can so let's try it for a year and see how it goes 
And so I was working five days a week, but just getting home in time to have Mm -hmm. an hour with my son and put him to bed. And year after year, I heard, you know, it's really too bad that you don't work full time. Now, I can only tell you that my part time was more than two people's full time job put together. And every year they told me how I would be a partner if I came back to work full time. And I have to say that I it got old. Yeah. And so I went out and got myself a great offer from a competitor and I quit. And they said, you can't leave. And I said, well, I'm not prepared to stay here if I'm not a partner. Well, we have 60 years of firm policy. I said, I understand that. And you can keep your policy, but you can't keep your policy and keep me. Yeah. And so lo and behold, it's funny how in a matter of a week, that policy got changed. Funny enough. Funny enough. And so that was um, probably 15 years ago. And of course, now I'm I've been back um, full full steam ahead. Yeah. And I have um, had the distinction of serving on the firm's inaugural diversity committee, the Women's Forum, mm-hmm. um, as a, a omnibus person for reduced hours arrangement, and have been part of the beauty of what is now Blank Rome in terms of its focus on diversity women mm-hmm. um and now i'm running the group with my great That's friend right. and partner lois lieberman so it's been a little bit of a long and crazy ride yeah. well, i think it's wonderful for women listening too to know that there are opportunities out there that they can do it but but it took a lot of courage i mean what i hear from you of putting yourself through law school number one on your own dime But then also walking in there and being prepared saying, I'm going to leave unless X and and I will see you. Did you grow up with a model in your life of a woman who was really financially with it? Or was this something that you taught yourself? How How did you become the person you are? So like you, our, my grandmothers were in abusive relationships. They left the abusive relationships and worked in factories in order to support themselves back in the 50s, which is not something that women did. My mother vowed to be present in my life because her mother was always working so hard in order to support the family. And so she was someone who always had part-time jobs, was always doing something. She was, you know, doing Princess House Crystal demonstrations. She was working at a supermarket. She cleaned houses for a period of time to help me pay my college tuition. She was someone who was very disciplined about my father got paid once a month and she had envelopes in her desk with cash. Mm-hmm. And what the envelope had in the cash had to last the entire month. And so there were no credit cards. You know, I learned that if you didn't have the cash, and now we put that in quotation marks, of course, in the envelope, you didn't buy it. Mm -hmm. And she, um, after I went to college, she went to school. um, She did a, um, like, I almost think of it as like a CLE, but it's not CLE, Mm -hmm. at um, 
what's the tax preparation company, the big one? TurboTax? No. The, you know, where you go, you take your forms and... H&R Block. H&R Block. Oh, gosh. My mother went with with a high school degree, and she took the H&R Block training. Look at her. I've wanted to take that training because it's so good. She started working at H&R Block, and she was really good at it. And she was so good at it that she left and formed her own company. Oh, my gosh. And she worked for... Um, 30 years in her own tax preparation business, which she later sold. And finally, after many, many years, is now blissfully retired. So did I have strong women role models? I did at both my grandmother's level and my mother's level. She was someone who, um, you know, has embraced life with both hands, travels the world, and never let her lack of education get in the way. Do you see the women that come to you going through the divorce process? Do you see most of them being like you and, and well, your, your mother as well? Or do you see a lot of women coming to you not, not really having a clue about what they're spending, what they're saving, and what needs to be done? I guess, are things getting better? Are things getting better? Or is there still... A big gap in where where women are and what they need to know about their finances. I I certainly have many women clients who are successful in business. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily equate to being financially educated. Mm-hmm. You would think the two went together, and they don't. Yeah. So I still see a big gap, even with successful women. So yes, I have lots of women who are financially dependent on their husbands, and who are not educated about what they spend, what they have. Um, but even the edu- even the, the successful ones, mm-hmm. not so much. Interesting. And what are some of those stories? Do you have any crazy stories about clients or, or money and, and just maybe not getting it? There are There is a disconnect between people who want to pursue an issue to the bitter end and that there is a cost associated with the pursuit of the bitter end. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to understand that sometimes you are spending more in legal and expert fees than you can ever hope to recover in court. And it's extraordinarily difficult to advise those people because mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not just your advocate, I'm your counselor. I take that role very, very seriously. And so I believe that it's my duty to sit you down as a client and say, listen, here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. Um, here's what I think I can get for you. Let's talk through these issues and see where we can go with it. If I don't do that, and sometimes the conversations that I have with people who don't want to hear what I have to say, they're very, very unpleasant conversations. But I never want a client to turn to me at the end of a case with a horrible result and say, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not an easy job a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and and so I'm also a, 
a trained mediator. And so I'm um, a big proponent of working with people just like yourself to look at financial picture and advise someone, if you keep spending at this level, you're going to run out of money. Yeah. Or the biggest disconnect is with that the the affiliation with a home as their their life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many women do you find who believe that if they quote lose the house, they've lost everything? Yeah. And sometimes that monstrosity which is sucking them dry is something that needs to go. Yeah. And you know the other the other wrinkle to that is if you sell your house with your husband at the time that you get divorced, you pay brokerage fees and transfer tax, and maybe there's capital gain tax that has to be paid because God willing, you've had um, a great fortune and you've made a good decision and you have capital gains and you therefore have to pay capital gains tax. Yeah, and you've had a good investment. If you buy your spouse out of his interest in the house, there's no broker fees, there's no capital gain tax that gets realized. And so if you buy your spouse out of this enormous asset at tremendous cost, and two years later you realize that it's not affordable or I made a mistake, there could be serious financial repercussions that you need to think about. Yeah, because she has to handle it all on her own then. She has to burden it all. 100% on her. Yeah. So I think what's really powerful, Caroline, is that you – you are fiduciary. You tell your clients and are very upfront that, you know what? Yes, I could bill you this many hours, but if we go to court, you're probably not going to get the result that you're looking for. And I'm so impressed by a case that you actually took on pro bono and spent, I am sure, hundreds and hundreds of hours, but that you were able to win last year. And and the reason why I bring it up is because it's a it's about a topic that is so important. And that is the rights of a child to have two parents. And that seems pretty of course, I'm sure everybody listening um, would would agree with me, uh, two loving parents. But you worked on a case where one of those parents was being denied access to the child because they were in a same-sex relationship and they necessarily hadn't adopted the child and weren't necessarily married to the other mom, but had been there. Actually, I, I know the child had her last name. She had been there taking him to the doctor's appointments, taking him to school, bathing him, feeding him. He, his mom, his mom. And then one day out of the blue, mom number two cuts off access, cuts off access. How did you reverse a decision that had been on the books for over several decades to to be able to write a new future, not only for, for this this wonderful child and, and his mom, but but for all all you know women and men who have same-sex marriages so the the precedent that we overturned was a case called Allison D which was issued by the Court of Appeals in 1991 at the time um, that Allison D was issued 
Um, and, and Allison D. stood for the proposition that we need a, quote, bright line rule so that we know who's going to be a parent and who's not going to be a parent. So if you are a biological parent or an adoptive parent, you have standing to seek custody and access to your child. Standing is simply the right to open the door of the courthouse and step in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there were all of these cases which existed in heterosexual situations in which a principle called equitable estoppel was being applied. So if a child believed that a man was her father and the child had been reaping the benefits of being supported by this man and it turns out that that man wasn't the biological father the court of appeals had said we're going to stop you from denying that you're the child's father because it would be horrible for this little child not to have the love and financial support of a father and so there were cases in which um, biological mothers were suing men who were actually not the fathers of their children but who had been led to believe were the fathers and receiving child support the court in what was clearly discriminatory practice because if you are a if you were a married couple a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and a child was born to you during your marriage. There is a statute in New York which says that we are going to legally presume that this child is the legitimate product of this marriage. And so if you were the husband and you weren't the biological father, you didn't have to do anything because you were presumed to be the child's parent. And if a couple years down the road, you find out that you're actually not the biological parent of the child. You and the other guy are going to be stopped from biological father asserting parental rights and you non-biological father who was held out to be the father from from denying those mm-hmm. rights. Mm-hmm. And so heterosexual couples played by a whole different set of rules. Mm-hmm. If you were a same-sex couple, let's face it, a lesbian partner of a biological mother is, can't be the, the other biological parent. And the other thing is that people like Brooke, my client, who lived, who lives in Jamestown, New York, which is in Chautauqua County, which is, um, you know, a, a bit of a drive from Buffalo. These, you know, there, there are many, many people in this state and in this country who don't have access to legal advice. Mm-hmm. They don't they have don't know. a lawyer to pick up the phone, to call, to say, hey, you have to adopt this child if you're going to have any rights. And the other thing is, is that adoption costs money. Mm-hmm. And so you are prejudiced both by virtue of your um, ignorance in some ways, and I'm not using that in the pejorative yeah. sense, um, and by your economic circumstance. So along comes the Marriage Equality Act in which in 2011, which um, says that same-sex couples can receive the same benefit of marriage. Now, at the time that Brooke and her um the biological mother of the child, they were engaged prior to 2011 when they were not able to legally married. They wore rings, they were referred to each other as their wives. Um, The child's mother used my client's last name Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they held themselves out as a couple. 
prior again to the passage of the Marriage Equality Act, their relationship dissolved, they broke up, and Brooke continued to have the same access to their child, continued to be recognized by the school, by the Mm -hmm. daycare providers, by the medical professionals, all of those people, she acted as this child's parent. And so 50% of the time, for three years after they separated, she had equal opportunity, equal access, equal decision-making. And then Elizabeth woke up one day and said, you know, I'm tired of you. And by the way, you have no rights. And so Brooke filed a petition in family court, unaware of the Allison D. rule. And she, the court really made a procedural error. The court appointed a lawyer for the child which should not have happened because Brooke didn't have standing. Mm -hmm. The only thing the family court judge should have done was say, I'm very sorry, but you have to leave. Mm -hmm. She appointed a lawyer for the child and the lawyer for the child met with the boy. And when shown Brooke's picture, touched it lovingly and said, you know, that's my mama B. And, you know, was clearly in pain and distress because he missed his mama bee so much. And this lawyer by the name of Tom Rankin, who's one of the real heroes of this case from Chautauqua County, reported this to the family court judge. And thereafter, she was required to hear a motion to dismiss made by Elizabeth's lawyers. And by virtue of the Allison D, you know, holding, mm-hmm. was required to dismiss the petition. Brooke and Tom appealed to the fourth department and the fourth department feeling constrained by the court of appeals decision and Allison D said, you know, unfortunately there's nothing that we can do. Tom, Brooke was then pro se. She could not afford a lawyer. Mm -hmm, Tom mm -hmm. filed a motion for leave to appeal to the court of appeals and said, surely the passage of the marriage equality act has has to give these same-sex couples recognition in other areas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the Court of Appeals um, granted his motion for leave to appeal. Now, alongside of Brooks' case was another case called Estralita. On the the lower court, it was Ariaga against Dukov. And those two cases went up together, and they were actually, the it was the perfect storm. You had a same-sex couple in Suffolk County, they break up, biological mom goes to family court and files a support petition against non-bio mom. She says, you're a parent, you have to pay child support. Because she was aware of the fact that she was not going to be able to have access to this child, she said, you're gonna have to get a court to order me to pay support. And so that's what happened. The court issued an order of support. Non-bio mom then files a petition for custody and access saying, I've been adjudicated in the by a support magistrate to be this child's parent. I want rights yeah, of custody and access. If I'm paying support, access. then I get rights as a parent. I'm paying support. Bio mom says, no, no, no. You don't have standing. So the family court judge wrote wrote an opinion saying, while the court of appeals says I cannot apply the the concepts, the principles of equitable estoppel, Mm -hmm. 
I can apply a concept called judicial estoppel, which says that you can't go to court and argue that something is a fact and then in another proceeding argue the opposite. You went to court and you argued that she was his parent. To ask for money. You're being judicially estopped from denying that she's the child's parent in this proceeding. Yeah. Goes up to the second department and the second department says, that's 100% right. The principles of judicial estoppel will prevent her from denying in the custody and access proceeding that she is the child's parent. And so BioMom files leave for notice to uh, for permission to appeal and the court grants it and so you had these two cases together one which clearly showed the absurdity Mm -hmm. of the legal tiptoe dance you had to do in order to get access to your child the the discrepancy between those two cases was such that i feel we felt as though the court of appeals had no choice but to change what was happening. And remember that the the Supreme Court in United States versus Windsor and um, had already issued its decision saying that the United States Constitution um, does not permit us to deny same-sex couples the right to marry. Mm -hmm. And so it was the perfect storm. And yes, we spent... I think the the fees and costs that were expended um, aiding Brooke was in the neighborhood of $600,000 if she had to pay. I can't imagine. Have you, do you have advice specifically for women who are in same sex um, marriages? It, It sounds definitely like adopt your children. Adopt your children. Adopt your children because even though you now have the benefit in New York of the presumption of legitimacy because Mm -hmm. a child is born into a marriage and now that statute no longer reads husband and wife, it's spouses. But what if you travel to another state? So there are vagaries in the law across this country and you cannot depend on where you might live someday for what those laws might be mm-hmm. you you absolutely should adopt your children yeah any other advice for lbgt couples or uh, that either have children or don't the, the other thing that is evolving is the surrogacy laws and so in new york we still have a strict prohibition against surrogacy contracts they are illegal it is a classy felony to to enter into a surrogacy contract that is hmm. not the case in many other states and so if you go to another state and you have a child and in Brooke's case, the Court of Appeals held that there has to be clear and convincing evidence that there was a preconception agreement to bring a child into the world. The child was brought into the world and the two parties to that agreement raised the child as parents. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you realize that that is a burden of proof that heterosexual couples still don't have to meet. No, no, not at all. So... If you are, um, if you want to have a, a surrogate, um, you can certainly uh, 
research them. There are wonderful online resources with maps of every state, and you can click on it and and determine what the laws are in those states. But you can have a surrogate in another state, which is legal, and then adopt the child in New York if you're the non-biological parent. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, most of these with with two women in relationships, one of them is typically a biological parent. With two same-sex men, you know, one can be a sperm donor, but again, it's a lot harder. Yeah to get to your place as having a child mm-hmm. with two parents. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing from this too is that if you are married or thinking about getting married and have a child, having the right legal advice is is not just a good thing to do. It's a must. It's, it's a an must. absolute And it's not only must. just for you, it's also for your child because I can only imagine what this child went through, right? So for three and a half years, um, he did not see his mama be. And she, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, Brooke's parents were separated from this child for those three and a half years. You know, they were his grandparents for all intents and purposes. He referred to them as grandma or grandpa, and I forget what adorable iteration of those terms he used, Um, but it affected the whole family. And so, you know, last weekend, um, for the first time in four years, Brooke was looking at the weather forecast to see what the weather was going to be like from for her child's eighth birthday party. And it was the first birthday party she had for him in a long time. And it was a it was really an, actually a very beautiful moment. And we actually stayed on as her counsel after the Court of Appeals decision. After everything that had happened, we said to our, my partner, Mick Canby, who was my partner in, in all of this, we, we said to ourselves, we can't have this remand. Remember, so she got standing by the Court of Appeals. She had to go back to Jamestown, to Chautauqua County, with her family court case, and then prove that the best interests of her child warranted a specific result. Mm-hmm. And we, Meg and I said to ourselves, if we don't take ourselves up to Chautauqua County, and show the other side that we're not abandoning her after this, it won't get resolved. And Meg, she was she volunteered to take the first round of court appearances. She went up there in, in she flew to Buffalo, rented a car, drove to Jamestown. And the case was at the point where the family court judge said, listen, the court of appeals just issued this decision. I want this boy to see his mother. And so the biological mother said to Meg, you know, I trust you, you know, mm-hmm. want to come to the park with us. And she called me from the from the park. She says, you never believe where I am. I'm sitting on a bench having just introduced Brooke to her son all over again. And of course, the two of us were, you know, tearing up, <laughs> quite yeah. emotional about the whole thing. And very quickly thereafter, we had an agreement which declared her to be a joint legal custodial parent with time that we built into. And of course, one of the other issues that people have to think about is the process. What is the process of reintroduction? Ah. Because there was a three and a half year absence. Yeah, It just so happens that in Brooke's case, what amazed us was 
with what ease he went off to play with her that first day. And she started meeting with him to take him out for pizza, to meet him at the library for a Lego club. And there was a part of him that knew that he loved her and that she was a part of him. He couldn't figure out why. She took him to the store and he wanted Pokemon cards. And she said, all right, I'll buy them for you. And out of nowhere, he said to her, I knew you would. You always got me everything I ever wanted. Ugh. But that was the, that was an easy case because the child went right back with her without any issues. How many children yeah. having also been told by biological mom for three and a half years that there's a terrible person out there who wants to take you away from me? Which is, I, I mean, I, I, I know, and this is not even a topic I meant to bring up, but we're talking about it. And I hope you're okay with this, but parental alienation, how do you deal with that if you, it, it, and also we look at Brooke, she could never, I'm sure, have afforded a Uh $600,000 legal case. She would have just never seen her child again. What, what do parents do? What do parents do? Unfortunately, the reality is that unless you have, find firms that have a commitment to pro bono work and you know Eric Rubel and his team at Warshall Burstein worked with Tom Rankin Um, he was the appellant in the case and we had pro bono counsel on Brooks and pro bono counsel for the Estralita case and Mm -hmm. so you had wonderful top flight lawyers who were all there just trying to do the right thing yeah. But if you don't have access to that kind of counsel, the sad reality is, is that people lose their kids. Are there any resources um, through the local bar associations where you can get information or at least start to research which attorneys have an expertise in custodial issues because this is it's not an expertise that that all matrimonial attorneys necessarily have it's not how do you find out for about the right lawyer for you unfortunately there are as in every single profession there are good lawyers and they're not so good lawyers and so it's very hard if you are uneducated unless you have good instincts to know who's in it for the right reasons. But you also have to have a case which comes through the right channels. And so if you are a victim of domestic abuse, you should reach out to a group like the Sanctuary for Families. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are our co-counsel on the Brooke case, um, Lambda Legal and Legal, which is the Lesbian and Gay Bar Association of Greater New York. They are tremendous resources um, for those in the gay community. Um, But there are many, many worthy organizations who have programs which will pair you up with with good lawyers with pro bono programs. That's great. Well, let's end on a high note. I would love to hear what your financially ever after is and what your thoughts are. I don't really know how to answer that question. I guess one of the things that I think is something that you do very well and certainly with your history of your grandmother and not having financial expertise and being in a situation in which you're trapped. 
I feel as though the message to all young women is the advice that my mother gave to me continually when I was growing up. Don't ever let yourself be put in a position where you are dependent on somebody else for your support. You could be with a wonderful person who is has great success. And let's say it's not a situation where you need to call me because you're getting divorced for one reason or another. People get sick. People become disabled. People die. Lose their job. Lose their job. And they lose their jobs at times when they can't find another one so quickly. I know I have a client who was making a million dollars a year as an investment banker. He lost his job. It took him two years to find a new job. He was ruined in those two years. Mm -hmm. So be Mm self-sufficient. Take care of yourself. That's my financially ever after. And I have to tell you that that could not be better put and better information for women of be able to take care of yourself. So I can't thank you enough, Caroline, for being here and for talking about some really important issues that I think are going to become even more important uh, as we move forward, as more couples, uh, same-sex couples are able to be married and live wonderfully together and have children. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes those marriages don't last forever. And this is great information to know of how to protect yourself and actually really protect your children too. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Great show, ladies. Hey, Stacey, how about letting our listeners know about Francis Financial and what you do. Perfect. So Francis Financial, we are a independent wealth management firm. Uh, Our specialty is working with women uh, thinking about or going through divorce. Um, And, you know, essentially anyone who's interested in just finding a resource or having a second opinion, um, that's something that we're here for. Awesome. And your website? It's www.francisfinancial.com. You can also email me at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. And I'd love, Caroline, if you want to tell us how our listeners can contact you, because there might be a few, few listeners that actually need your services, especially after what we've been talking about today. So I'm at Blank Rome, LLP, and we're in the Chrysler Building here in Manhattan. Um, my email address is long and tortured, but here you go. It's C Kraus Brown, C K R A U S S B R O W N E, no spaces, no hyphens, at blankrome, B L A N K R O M E dot com. And the website is www.blankrome.com. It is. Because I know you've got a beautiful picture of you there, as well as um, your your bio, and people I think can contact you through the website too. They can, yes. That's great. Well, thank you for being here. 